0: I do not have a PowerPoint this morning, so we will not be using that. Um, Romans 13 says, "Every person what does that mean? It's not hard, <laughs> right? is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God." Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you not want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have the praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. This passage of Scripture was bantered about quite often in the last three years as a general overviewing truth. I'm going to submit to you this morning that there is a purpose for government. And that purpose is God-ordained, and the authority of the government is God-ordained. The only thing that changes that is when government is against Christ and actively keeps us from obeying Christ. Apart from that, we are to honor and obey the government. Now... In our present government, that's extremely difficult to fathom, is it not? And the reason is there's an underlying pinning, if you will, within our government today that is anti-Christian, very anti-Christian. And they're not outwardly being, I mean, I shouldn't say that. They're not outward anti-Christian as many governments are. It's it's this, this deceptive. Thing. How many understand that they're being deceitful about it and, and under under that is involved Regardless of what is involved the Bible here tells us we are to obey the government. Why well it has to be in context 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 after you know the context make sure you understand the what? Context Context is everything It's everything Virtually all scholars agree that government authorities are intended in this passage. There's actually a couple scholars that believe that the governing authorities refers to angels and principalities. The problem with that is the Bible says the exact opposite about angels and principalities. We are not under them. We are under the government the The secular government we are under that, so it's not talking about that. Almost all scholars agree to that. Paul often uses that same term authorities to designate angelic authorities, especially in the, per, in, the in the plural. This context expresses a reference to governing authorities. There's no question about it. So we are talking about governing authorities in this text. These are not rulers. Not uh, these are earthly rulers, not angelic rulers. Why? The call to be subject to these authority rules out any reference to angelic powers. Do you know you are not to obey angelic powers? Colossians chapter two, verse 18 is very clear on this. Paul forcefully contests the idea that believers should be subservient to angelic powers. That is not what we are to be, amen? We're to be subservient to God, and God has placed governing authorities over us. Folks, those angelic powers have got work to do for the Lord, amen? That work is not to be over us. That work is God's work, and He has uh, the spirit world, if you will, to deal with. How many understand that? He emphasizes that believers are free from the dominion of these powers, and thus it is impossible that he would now exhort believers to submit to them. That's the first reason that this cannot be angelic, it has to be governmental. Second, the call to pay taxes. When's the last time you, tell, you, you paid Michael anything? Right? Right? That cannot be. In verses 6 and 7, the text tells us to pay our taxes. It demonstrates that earthly rulers alone are intended, since it's impossible to pay taxes to the angels. Thirdly, this interpretation of Romans 13 is confirmed by Titus 3.1, which has a similar exhortation to submit to earthly authorities. Authorities refers to civil rulers in a number of other texts, Moreover, the word governing supports the notion that civil authorities are in view, for this term and word group are used elsewhere of human rulers. 1 Timothy 2.2, 2. 1 Peter two 13, which we just read. And then there's, uh, you can go to when Jesus Christ paid to Caesar the things that are Caesar. How many remember that? That's in uh, Matthew, Luke, and in Mark, I believe. The texts are in that. So there, there are plenty of evidence that this is talking about Rulers on this earth, governing rulers. Verse 1 indicates that it is the responsibility of every person to submit, the text says. It applies to both unbelievers and believers. The problem is, an unbeliever is not going to read the Bible and doesn't care. We just witnessed, within the last two years, total mayhem in Minneapolis. They could care less. But believers, you don't have an excuse. We have no excuses. Amen. We find it in Scripture, therefore it is Scripture. There's no, so we can't be like other theologians say, well, submit really doesn't mean to submit. Or salvation really isn't salvation, if you know what I mean. We are to be submissive to the civil government. That's what the law says. That's what the Bible says. The reason for the command is stated twice in verse 1. Why? (laughs) How many of you, after watching some of our politicians, say, why in the world would I submit to this? How many understand that, practically speaking? Well, you do it because God says, but He gives us a reason. No authority exists apart from God it is God's will that President Joe Biden is our president we might scoff at that we must we might shake our head in total disbelief it doesn't matter God has placed him in charge what does that mean we need to honor him he is our president No one's saying amen. I don't know why. I get it. But he is our president. We don't agree with what his policies are at all. But you know what? That man needs the Lord. And he ain't going to listen to people that hate him, scoff at him, reject him. He's not going to listen to that. We're going to find out as we go through the text, that is the whole point of us being here. So, first, there's no authority exists apart from God, apart from His will. This is God's will. The second reason, we find that in the text, right? For I do not, uh, <clears throat> for there is no authority. What does it say? I want you to read it so that we're all in agreement here. I know it's difficult. I know it's really difficult. All authority comes from who? God. And those who exist are established by whom? God. Was Adolf Hitler established by God? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is this authority exists because God says it does. It's His will that this takes place. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But God is always sovereign in every one of them. The second reason, which reiterates the elaboration and elaborates on the first is even more emphatic. All all authorities have been, look at the text, therefore, whoever resists Authority has opposed the what? Ordinances of God. He has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed have received condemnation on themselves. In other words, God has ordained this authority. It's not, oops, I didn't see the mules coming. Some of you probably don't have any idea what that means. (laughs) <laughs> uh, or oops, I, I didn't know that they were going to put ballot boxes out there, or oops, I, no, God doesn't ever say oops, amen. Never. Never. So God has not only made government exist, this is his will, it has been ordained by God, No governing authority exists apart from God's will and determination. This notion of God's sovereignty over all governing authorities is not unique to Paul. The Old Testament and the Jewish tradition both say that this is God's will. This is whatever it is it is. Now, the problem is the Old Testament rabbis... And and the uh, if you call it, I'll call it this the Mid Testament rabbis, somebody understand what I'm talking about. During the Roman occupation, allowed, remember the Maccabees and, and the revolution that took place. And then after that took place, you've got when Jesus was alive on this earth. What do we have then? The zealots. And matter of fact, and I can't give you all the history here but I'm going to give it to you close. There were, it's, it, I, I think I have read that there were more Israelites killed during the zealot uprising that Rome squashed than in Jerusalem when it was sacked. It was a slaughterhouse because they were ready to overthrow Rome. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, that's why Jesus was with open arms and coats off their backs on the ground, inviting Christ to be their king. It was all to overthrow the government. But guess what? He didn't. Nor did he say or do things to do that. This is a big deal when we study this. It's a huge deal, and we will get to it. Even in future times, Revelation chapter 13, which describes the rule of the beast, there the refrain that his power was given to him. Remember the beast that's coming during the tribulation? The, the government, it, the rule was given to him. Why was it given to him? God has a plan, and that plan will not be thwarted. That plan will not be hindered. That plan will come true. Revelation chapter 13, he says it twice that it was given. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 and verse 15. Verse 7 has it twice also, 14 and 15. So in a matter of of four verses, six times he says that was given to him. Folks, I will tell you this. We might not, we, we really hate The positions that our government has taken, which seem to be against Christianity, how many would agree with that? He's still not the beast. It's going to get worse. And God's the one that's going to put the beast in charge. John's readers would have understood a reference to God, the ultimate source of all power. No political power is attained apart from the sovereign will of God. None. If God has ordained and appointed the ruling authorities, then the conclusion drawn in verse 2 flows naturally. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authority is what? You're resisting God. If you resist the authority, you're resisting God. And if you do that, so those who resist, <laughs> those who resist such an authority opposes that to which God has ordained. Those who resist God's ordinances will be what, according to verse two, it's right there. They'll receive condemnation. They'll receive judgment. And that judgment is rightfully so inflicted by rulers and authority. Amen? They are to do judgment to the evil ones. Now in just a second, you're going to find the context of this and then it's going to go like a big light on our head. Why is he telling this to Christians? Aren't Christians to be at peace with all men? Amen? Amen? Aren't Christian? What did Jesus do? Do you remember him protesting outside the city gates of Jerusalem that Rome must go? Did you see him protesting or saying anything about the emperor calling himself a god? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He has left us here to be an agent to seek and to save that which is lost also. We don't save them. We just give them the text. Verse 2 tells us that there is a, therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Therefore, verse 3, for the rulers are not a cause of fear, for what? Good behavior. Listen, every one of us have gone over 55 and a 55, but as soon as that bubble light is seen, all of a sudden we're down from 70 down to 55 in a heartbeat. The fear just goes right through you into your foot. <laughs> right? Why? because you know you're going to be judged for bad behavior listen 55 miles per hour is not a godly principle in the text amen it's the law of the land to protect us studies and things have gone into that to find out how fast you can go and what's the safest and do you remember when you can go, like, however fast you wanted to in Montana? Now they're down to 75. <laughs> At one time, the government made 55 mandatory through the whole country. How many remember that? Why was that? Gas shortages. And we know that it's... So there's reasons behind what they do. There is never not a reason behind what they do. All right? some of those reasons are nefarious and we'll get to that eventually but many of them are to protect the good and judge the bad that's what government is for amen this word fear it's prominent in verses 3 and 4 it relates to the fear of punishment by civil authorities Listen, this is not saying wait till the last day. God will judge you for going 56. That's not what he's saying. Do you believe, believe it or not, there are, there are scholars that believe that the judgment he's talking about is the end judgment of Christ. That's not what this is saying. What he's saying is you need to fear if you are doing wrong. We have a. I know a man, I'll just put it that way because I'm not going to... I know a man that tells me a story about hunting ducks. How many love to hunt ducks? How many have ever hunted ducks? I know Emma loves ducks now. I saw her picture on Facebook with her first teal. Right? Is that correct? Oh, was it a wood duck? All right, I guess I didn't look close enough. But when you're hunting ducks, do you know you have to judge in the air if it's a male or female. You have to. I was hunting with one guy and he just boom, boom, boom right above us. They started falling. He had one too many. He took it. He stuffed it in the mud and stuck his foot way down in the ground. Why? He was afraid of the law. I know a guy in this church before salvation That would shoot ducks way too many and then he'd put them in the hubcaps of his tires so they wouldn't find them. The problem is blood was leaking out of those hubcaps. Hmm. We fear those things. I remember coming back from Montana uh, about four years ago. I had shot a Uh, I don't know, eight or 10 point buck, not very big. But I'm tooting along 75, because you can. And all of a sudden, game, everyone stop, game station or whatever. The fear of God went in my heart. How many understand that? What did I do wrong? What's going on now? How am I going to. And as soon as he got to, I I hope I got, I was nervous. Open your trunk. Okay, I'll open whatever you want, but <laughs> I was scared. Why? Because I don't want to do something that's wrong. How many understand that? By the way, he gave me a warning. He said, whoa, we better fire you. Here's the deal. In, in Montana, you have to keep... The horns, aren't, uh, the horns have to be attached to the meat to know that the meat is a male. Or something does. Does that make sense? And I had it all chopped up, so it, it was all... He, he looked at it and he said, well, I could give you this, but I'm not going to because I can see the horns. Imagine that. But it's, it scares you. That's the point of government. They use that as... And God's using that to do what's right. Now, to be honest with you, government tries its best to legislate morality. And morality is defined how that certain government official defines morality. Let me give you an example. Today we have the he, she, it issues, right? Why are they doing that? They're doing that because, and I'll be honest with you, every single child goes through not understanding their body. Amen? And they're confused and do weird stuff. You know, the dad that comes home and sees his son with the first G.I. Joe, or first Barbie. He took his sister's Barbie and like, I'll get you a G.I. Joe. Right? And he's freaking out. So what they think is right is just coddle them. Maybe they are just a girl and they're trapped in a boy's body. Now that morality is ridiculous. Amen? And to legislate it, that's, their ga- that's what they do. You cannot legislate morality. How do you know? I'll say one word, Israel. It's the one word, that's all you need to know. Israel was, this is the law. And they couldn't keep it, which was the point. Therefore, by grace, when Christ came, amen. Final reprieve. But legalism reigned in Israel. It truly did. Fear. <clears throat> Fear is not a terror inspired by the unjust use of power by the state, although it can be. Paul emphasizes that those who do what is good have no reason to what? Fear. And conversely, those who practice evil receive the penalties inflicted by civil rulers. So if you're going 55 and you see a policeman, you're waving. Right? Maybe you should just to be nice. You don't have that fear though, right? When the DNR officer comes up to you and you have, I don't even know how many walleyes, five walleyes and they're all in the right slot, you don't have to fear anything. Unless the guy takes, I've heard this before, unless the guy puts the walleye on the ground, smashes it down, and all of a sudden extends that tail like one half of an inch. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I've heard stories. How many have heard stories like that? The reality is, the government's job is to protect, embrace, and push forward the good and judge the bad. That is its job. Now, why is that here? Look at verse 9 of chapter 12. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Do you see context there? Keep reading. Devote to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. L- lagging in the diligence. Fervor in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. All this is trying to tell us we should be the good citizens of this country. Amen. Absolutely. Don't be the evil ones. Don't be the ones that are unruly. Indeed, those who do good will be free from fear since the government will praise those who practice goodness. Now, I think that's rose-colored glasses sometimes. It doesn't help when our government officials call people who want to stop Murdering children before they're born as deplorables, that's a problem. But in generality, those who do good will be free from fear since the government is to praise those who practice good and judge those who practice evil the judgment exercised by the state then occurs in history but it should not be separated in an absolute way from god's judgment because god is judging through the government it is in verse 4 look what it says verse 3 do you do not have no you will have no fear of authority do what is good and you will have five praise from the same who's that the authority verse 4 for it is the minister of God to you for good. We find that this ruling authority is acting as God's servant. That's what it's saying. Not only in verse 4, it says it twice there the servant of God, the minister of God, but also in verse 6. The rulers are servants of God. Let me ask you, how many of you want to pick a fight with Michael, the archangel? Uh, No, thank you. We would not disparage him. We know that he's a servant of God, right? Then why do we treat the government any different? I think because we have lost track that they are the servant of God. Does that make sense? They are the ministers. They are the servants of God. The judgment of the state against evildoers in history anticipates also an eschatological judgment of God at the end of history. We will get back to this in just a little bit because eschatology has a lot to do with this text. You say, what? Yeah, a ton to do with it. There is a, I'll just give you a glimpse, a commercial that'll happen in 15 minutes, okay? There is uh, Doug Wilson. How many have ever heard of Doug Wilson? Doug Wilson is a post-millennial that is absolutely saturating this this country with post-millennial thinking. Post-millennial thinking says we become politically active to change the political system to bring in the kingdom of God. Anybody see a problem with that? Uh, I see a huge problem with that. The judgment of the state against evildoers has this eschatological talk, and we'll get there in a second. The reference to the state not bearing the sword in vain. Not bearing the sword in vain. Right to deprive of, of life those who have committed crimes worthy of death. Folks, there is evidence in Scripture of death penalty It isn't a humane or godly thing to put a five-time rapist and murderer back on the streets. The government is not doing their job. It's not. The right of ruling authorities to practice capital punishment is found also in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. It, It supports it because it appeals to the fact that Human beings, why is abortion wrong? Why is uh, taking someone's life wrong? Why are those wrong? Why is murder wrong? Because all humanity is created in the image of God. Precisely because human beings are so valuable as God's image bearers, it follows that One who intentionally takes the life of another should be deprived of his own or her own life. The government's function is to inflict wrath, to vindicate justice. Government's job is to quell and punish anarchy. It's to stop rioters. It's to stop people from attacking other people. It's to punish looters and murderers. That's the job of the government. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Say, why are you talking that way? Well, I will show you briefly. The structural role of verse 5 repeats the command of verse 1. It refers to the wrath of civil authorities in meting me- in out punishment. This is confirmed in verse 4, which spells out the government's function as the avenger for wrath. We are not to avenge wrath. They are to avenge wrath. How many understand that? It's not to me up to me to be Mr. Vigilante. It's the government's job. That's what God ordained them to do believers should submit to the government because they recognize in their conscience that God has ordained the state. I really believe Christians have lost sight that the government is the very servant of God. To rule, they are to rule and because it is the servant of the, on the is God's servant on the earth. The conscience is a big deal. It signifies a sense of moral responsibility and obligation to conform what is required. But in this context, the function of conscience is certainly, pers- is certainly a perspective since the action contemplating is submitting to the state. In other words, have a good conscience driving through Montana. Stay 75 miles an hour. Don't murder somebody don't steal from somebody don't perjure yourself when you do those things your conscience is hindered and the actions that are a reply of those show you they're hindered why some people believe that pay taxes in order to maintain a good conscience we should be paying taxes we should Christians are not, like, exempt. Now, I hate to say this, but I'm going to tell you, it's only a matter of time until churches will be taxed. It's only a matter of time. It may be better to understand that we pay taxes because government officials are God's ministers. The astonishing element here is that Paul ascribed to civil officials a divine service. In collecting taxes. The command to pay to all what is due reflects Jesus' word, pay to Caesar, found in Luke, pay to Caesar the things that are what? Caesar's. It's interesting, and I'm not going to get into it all because it kind of gets us off track, but... Paul was advocating for paying taxes, but there are two different taxes that were due, a direct tax and then like a sales tax, a round-the-edge sales tax. And he deals with those, and you can, you can make a big study on that. We don't, I'm not going to take the time to do that because there's something greater importance today in how we deal with this subject. The payment of taxes fear and honor those that are in governmental authority so we must fear them we must honor them we must submit to them and we must pay our taxes now it's easy to say we fear and honor and submit but to pay the taxes is the action that proves we fear and honor and submit amen by the way this fear that is talked about here in these verses verses uh, three and four is the same word used in Ephesians 5, where Paul exhorts wives to, to fear their husbands. Peter exhorts all to honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear who God, we've just read that, honor the king. Servants must be submissive to their masters with all respect. Obviously, we have seen throughout scripture that if fearing the government is equal to obeying the government, This must be understood as not an absolute, blind, uncritical command. This is important. How many are following me? We are to, I just showed you, fear husbands, obey your parents, fear God, servants be subject to your masters. All those are true and generally need to be followed, but there's a but in there. your husband demands that you disobey scripture are you to obey him no if your master tells you to disobey scripture are you to do that the same with government all these things are equal wives are not to sub- here's the deal wives are not to submit to their own are to submit to their own husbands unless The husband asks to disobey God. Elders are to rule well the church unless they're going to take them in an unbiblical way. Governments are to quell and judge the wicked. Parents are to be obeyed by the children. God has clearly and directly ordained roles within humankind to have specific jobs, specific roles and carry out specific responsibilities. Masters, husbands, elders, government leaders, parents, all are servants of God designed to serve others by leading them. Amen. They're all equal in this. This is not debatable. This is a simple yet direct command and provision by God Almighty. This text is severely misunderstood if it, is, if it is taken out of context and used as an absolute word so that Christians uncritically comply with the state no matter what is being demanded. Did you hear that? Did I lose you? Some of you, I'm going to say this again. The text is severely misunderstood if it is taken out of context and used as an absolute word so that Christians uncritically comply with the state no matter what is being demanded. It's not just a blanket statement, obey them no matter what. It doesn't say that. If that said that, then wives are to obey or to submit to their husbands, no matter what. Children are obey their parents, obey their children, and elders are to rule, and you're to follow them, no matter what. But that's not what the text says. All of it is contingent on the text of the word, God's will. This is a general exhortation that we're talking about here. This is what is usually the case. People should normally obey ruling authorities. The text is not intended as a full-blown treatise on the relationship of believers to the state. It is a general exhortation setting forth the typical obligation one has to civil authorities. Paul is expressing a governing authority that carries out its task by punishing evildoers and rewarding those who do what is good. Here's the reality. The Jewish and Roman government had put Jesus to death. Was that right or wrong? By their own government, it was wrong. By God's will, it was right. Does that make sense? It was in his plan. The Jewish government had executed James and Stephen and were on a mission to eradicate them all. Does that mean I need to go help them do that? Absolutely not. The Jewish and Roman government had put Paul, Silas, Peter, and others in jail so as to possibly kill, if not suppress, their God-given work. Clearly, Schreiner says it correct and, and one of the best, I think. It was simply not his intention to detail here the full relationship of believers to the government. There is a reason this was written and it wasn't to be blindly following the government at the expense of disobeying God. That's not what it was written for. Stein rightly says it this way, governments, even oppression, oppressive governments, by their very nature seek to prevent the evils of indiscriminate murder, riot, thievery, as well as general instability and chaos, and good acts do at times meet with its approval and praise. Amen! Paul would not disagree with the call to obey God rather than rulers when they attempted to squelch the preaching of the gospel. Where rulers as respected but polycarp will not render worship to Caesar, he will render, Polycarp said, I will render taxes to Caesar, but I will not render worship to Caesar. There's the difference. Nor would he dispute the claim that the state can function as an evil beast when John wrote it in Revelation chapter 13. John's teaching stems from Daniel 7, and Paul himself. Expects an evil ruler to arise in 2 Thessalonians. The intention of Romans is to sketch in the normal and usual relationship between believers and ruling power. In general, this needs to be obeyed. Christians should submit to such authority and carry out its statutes unless the state commands believers to do that which is contrary to the will of God. It's that simple. Now, what about the eschatological issue here? This passage is extremely helpful in an eschatological discussion. If we are to obey, honor, pay taxes, and have a good conscience with the human government, is that what it says we need to do? Yes or no? Yes. We are to obey, we are to honor, we are to pay our taxes, we are to have a good conscience in regards to human government. Why? What is the purpose of doing that? By the way, am I yelling? Because I I can't hear half of what I'm saying. Talk about hard. Try singing to the songs and you... But here's the deal, we are to obey, we are to honor, we are to pay taxes, we are to have a good conscience within the human government God has placed on us. Why? Because our job is not to overthrow the God-ordained government to create heaven on earth. No. Our job is to proclaim the gospel, to add citizens to the kingdom, not this earth did you follow that this is really important because this gets to the nitty-gritty of what's going on our job is not to overthrow the God-ordained government to create heaven on earth in essence Doug Wilson's wrong we do not usher in the church does not usher in the kingdom you say, how in the world can people get there that the church ushers in the kingdom? Here's how they get there. They use the term called metaphoric language. And when they know that Jesus is going to come and, and, and uh, set up his kingdom, they say Jesus or Christ is equal to the church. There's the leap. Do you see that? We say, okay, no, 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 no. It's Christ. Why? Because it says Christ. We're the bride of Christ, amen. We are not literally, now, are we the body of Christ? Do you see how they get there? And so they they equate those and say, we're to usher it in. The problem with that is this, listen closely. It was not the job of the Israelites to change the Egyptian government when they were slaves. Was it? It was not the job of the Israelites' wise men to change the Babylonian government, was it? Did they do anything to do that? It was not the job of Mordecai's Israelites to change the Assyrian government. It was not the job of Israel during the life of Christ to change the Roman government. If it was, he's the king, he would have done it then. It was not the job of Paul to challenge the politics of Rome and change that government. These guys were not political pundits trying to overthrow the government. None of them were. They were here to preach the gospel. They were here to change the hearts of people that are not of this world. It has always been the job of the peoples of God, both Israel and the church, to proclaim the works of God and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is our job. We as peoples of God have never been called to reform, challenge, or rebel against the government. We have been called to worship God and call upon all men to what? Repent! Repent! (laughs) Repent. This is exactly why Scripture says to obey government and live at peace with all men. Why does God want us to live at peace with all men and to obey the government? In order to have a clear conscience and a standing to be able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Let me ask you, how many of the writers in Minneapolis in 2020 are you going to listen to about moral, virtual godless, or god, godliness? How who would you would you listen to any of them? They don't have a standing. I will tell you this: rebels don't have standing in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. We do not usher in the millennial kingdom by political reform or overthrow. No believers advance the kingdom by scripture. No believers advance the kingdom but by scripture alone, explaining to the world who Jesus is, expressing by God's grace alone, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ alone, and through faith alone. God then will be glorified alone. Amen all of them found right there. There's no uh, revolution found there. We are not political reformers. We are Christ's ambassadors and proclaimers of the gospel. You say, well, how in the world did you get there? It's very simple. Does anybody know what the context of Romans is? How many want to know what the context of Paul writing to the Romans is? Paul was writing to the Romans because there was a huge rift between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. How many does that, Do you remember this now? What happened was the beginning of the church in Rome, I believe, was at Pentecost when Peter preached. It says that there were people from Rome there that truly were had the Holy Spirit above them. How many understand that? They were saved. And they went back to Rome. What are they going to do? Well, I'm saved. I got my ticket. We're done. We're good. We can just live like normal. Is that what they would do? No. They want to get together. They want to know more about who this Jesus is. Amen. A church was born out of their salvation at Pentecost. And then when they left Pentecost and went back to Rome, they started churches. And they started them probably in the synagogues. Because many of the, who were at, Pentecost was full of Jews. That's why they were there, right? So the synagogues were, if you will, had a great awakening. How many understand this? That's what's going on. Well, what happens is, the synagogue was full of Judaizers And then eventually some Gentiles became believers. It was a mingling thing. Now let me ask you, are the Gentiles going to want to do what the Judaizers are telling them to do? Hey, you 60-year-old man, you need to be circumcised to be born again. Yeah, you're nuts. You are nuts. And fisticuffs happened. It is historically accurate that there was even deaths happening because of Christus. That's what the text, that's what historical evidence is saying. There was mayhem in the streets. And it was had to do with Christus in the synagogue of the Jews. 2020, downtown Minneapolis was happening in Rome under the name of Christ. Now let me ask you, can you understand why this was written to the Romans? The Romans are sitting there thinking, you guys are nuts. They thought it was so bad, guess what they did? Claudius did this, the emperor. He threw all the Jews out of Rome. You're out of here. That's how bad it was. Now let me ask you, did those Jewish people have a good conscience and were they able to give the gospel to the Romans? Are you kidding me? They would say, forget you, get out of here. You don't belong here. Do you see why God wants us to obey the government and be in good standing with our citizenship on this earth? Now, I try to explain it, and I'll read it now. I might be repeating some of this, but I want to make sure I don't miss something. How many get this? Remember, we are here to proclaim the gospel. In order to do that, we, we, in order to do that, we Christians cannot be the group inciting violence. That is the context of Romans thirteen. This is not a blanket treatise that we blindly obey the government. Rome was written to meld together, once again, Jewish and Gentile Christians. Reason? They hate each other so badly that they were the ones who were violent in Rome. They were beating each other up in the streets. They may have even started killing each other over their religion. It got so bad that the emperor sent all the Jews out of Rome. How are they to proclaim the gospel if they're not there, number one, and if they're acting like morons, number two? How many Romans respected the church when the church looked like the anarchists of 2000, of 2020, Minneapolis mob? They lost all credibility, and rightfully so. Paul is literally writing and explaining to them, obey the government to retain a good reputation amongst the citizens, pay taxes to the government for they are there to judge the bad guys of which you can't be the bad guys. (laughs) This is literally the context of this writing. Now, How does that, how does all of this, how does all of this relate to us today? And how does it relate to how we act today? Listen, folks, be a good citizen. Love the Lord, love others, so that the gospel can be proclaimed in good conscience. Amen? Now, I don't normally just read word for word everything, but I'm going to do this today. Mr. Gaiman sent me... By the way, this is a very difficult passage because emotions are tied to people we love, right? People we love have different opinions on different things. One thing we should be in agreement with, we need to obey the government unless it tells us to disobey God. It's that simple. Well, there's something called, and I encourage you to read it. I don't know that I'd agree with it all. Now, I'm in the minority on this. I don't know that I agree wholeheartedly with the statement called the Frankfurt Declaration. And I'm just going to give it to you, not because I I could be wrong on this, all right? And John MacArthur and many godly men have signed this called the Frankfurt Declaration. I am not going to read that to you. Because I am not comfortable equating civil liberty with Christian liberty. How many understand that? That word civil liberty, it, it, it's more American than biblical. How many understand that? And so I'm, I'm hesitant to, to I, I could be wrong, but I'm hesitant to sign that. But Dr. MacArthur did sign it. And I respect Dr. MacArthur big time. I think he is one of the greatest preachers of our age in order to take down the extremely difficult and put it right down into lay language that I can understand. What a gift that God has given us with Dr. MacArthur. And by the way, he's not here for very much longer. He, you can see on his face and the way he walks, he's getting very old. And... We will miss him greatly when he is no longer here. Praise the Lord that he has written so much. Regardless, I'm going to read to you because here's this man. He did not live in Minnesota. I think if he lived in Minnesota, things would be different. I think if his church was Grace Community Church of Minneapolis, Minnesota, it might have been somewhat different. But he wasn't. He was in California. Affectionately known by many as the People's Republic of California, I hope you understand where that went, they were above and beyond what happened in Minnesota. What happened in Minnesota is there were some inconsistencies, major inconsistencies, and he's going to talk about it, but we at least opened our doors two or three months after we tried to figure things out. How many understand that? California did not Canada did not and Canada is still has from what I understand pastors in jail and you cannot go according to Lutzer who's I think it's his brother he's from Canada his brothers in Canada he cannot buy he has been given the shot but there are, and, and, and he's not disparaging the shot or encouraging the shot. He says, it is what it is. You've got to make your own personal decision on that. Amen. But Canada is requiring that you cannot buy groceries unless you have the vaccine card with you. And you can't do a lot of these things. As Lutzer would say, and I'm not, this is not my opinion, this is Lutzer, and he would know more than I do. I'm not against the vaccine, I'm for the vaccine. But you can be pro-vaccine, but you cannot, You should not be mandate. And there's a difference there. And you can wrestle with that all you want. I'm not the guy to talk about that. But I am the guy that I think should read this about MacArthur because MacArthur's church was shut down for a year, over a year, is what they wanted him to do. Here's his reply, and it was dated, by the way, he has, it's on his blog, you can read it yourself, September 6th, 2022. So just last week, he wrote this. So it was a, when Mr. Gaming gave it to me, I said, man, I, that's, I have to end with this because it fits perfectly in what we're talking about today. John MacArthur writes, Christ declared, my kingdom is not of this world, my kingdom is not of this realm. Amen. John chapter 18, verse 36. Far from setting himself up as a rival to Caesar, this is talking about Jesus Christ, he was saying that the church belongs to a different, higher realm than an earthly government, and therefore she poses no threat to Caesar's rightful authority. The church's purpose is not to overthrow or usurp earthly governments. Jesus amplified that point when he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. By the way, the things that are God's are worship corporately. Amen? That belongs to God and God alone. This is the tipping point. Matthew 22. But for his part, Caesar has always tended to view Christ as an adversary and as an inconvenience. How do we understand that? When we say Caesar, he's saying government. From Herod and Pontius Pilate, let me ask you, were they anti-Christ? Absolutely. Until today, earthly governments have always sought to exert control over Christ and his kingdom. Somehow, someway. How did that happen in, in, in Rome or in Jerusalem? Well, they killed, they threw James off the pinnacle of the temple. They slaughtered Stephen with stones. They had Peter in jail ready to be executed. It's hilarious. Peter's what? He's sleeping in jail. Why? Because it's gonna be really hard today when I wake up in heaven. I have so much to do, right? I don't know why he was sleeping maybe he was just resting in God amen caesar is not content with the things that are caesar he also wants to control over the things that belong to god so earthly rulers invariably try to seize as much dominance over the church as they possibly can today's post today's postmodern politicians are as determined as any government in history to intrude into the matters that pertain to Christ. They impose moral standards that are hostile to biblical principles. We talked about that today. Your public school system today is teaching your children they can be whatever sex they want to be. That is imposing their moral high ground, what they call moral high ground, against the biblical principle which is the standard to moral high ground. They use Caesar's bully pulpit to portray biblical values as a threat to the very existence of humanity. They champion and even subsidize those who want to indoctrinate children with overtly anti-Christian ideology. They churn out executive orders, regulatory agencies, and arbitrary requirements that would hinder or halt the work of the church. I will tell you, for some people, and from what I understand, even today... There are churches that still haven't met and we're going on year three. Listen, that is saying we obey government rather than God. That cannot be. We are to come together and worship together, our God together. Amen. There is no way you can do the one another's sitting at home. See, I get excited about this and then I go off and I lose track. MacArthur didn't say that. That was my input. The COVID years simply made Caesar's strategy undeniably obvious. Government restrictions required churches to refrain from gathering while casinos, massage parlors were allowed to operate. Officials looked the other way when leftist protesters were given free reign to gather and riot in huge mobs, but those same officials relentlessly worked to keep churches closed. Obedience to such frivolous, heavy-handed government control would have required disobedience to Scripture. God clearly commands his people not to forsake their regular assembling from court for corporate worship hebrews 10:25 and we must obey god rather than men let me add a little caveat in here to be fair for the first 2 to 3 months of covid we had no idea what we were up against and it was right and good to not come together for sake of your lives for all we knew. How many understand that? But time changed all that. Evidence changed that. To be honest and clear today, even today, they do not know the the ramifications and the total understanding of COVID today. They don't. To be honest with you, I am right now dealing with a cough in my upper respiratory system that has been two over two years going on now. They don't know if possibly that could be something to do with the problem that COVID left in my personal body, which is different than any of your bodies, which is different than each other's bodies. How many get this? So, what did MacArthur do? So we resumed our corporate worship after a certain amount of time. They resumed. They they started going up. And Fox News got a hold of him right away and brought him in and say, Hey, you're one of our guys. You're doing it in the face of that's not what he was trying to do. He was just trying to worship God corporately as the Bible commands. Amen. So we resumed our corporate worship and that immediately unleashed the wrath of Caesar. Government agencies came after our church with every regulatory projectile they could hurl at us. Legal demands, lawsuits, injunctions, and fines. They even threatened to expropriate our parking lot. Thankfully, we prevailed in court mainly, I believe, because the county of Los Angeles was not willing to let their health officials be deposed under oath. (laughs) In other words, he's under the understanding that they really don't want the truth out. That's what he's saying there. I'm not there, I have no idea what that truth may or may not have been. Our triumph in these cases came exactly a year before the Frankfurt Declaration was released. While the case was still in litigation, however, we released a statement of our own titled Christ, not Caesar, is head of our church. What we, stand, what we stated then is in full agreement with the Frankfurt doc- document. Again, they are smarter than I am, but I'm just not quite there because of a couple words in the document. The United States government and others in the Western world have already established themselves as enemies of Christ by legalizing abortion, demanding that homosexuality be encouraged and celebrated, refusing to recognize God-given gender distinctions, sanctioning same-sex marriage, and promoting the barbaric, pagan mutilation of children. In other words, at the age of six, if my son wants to be a daughter, then he can go ahead and be a daughter by being surgically altered at the age of Of six or younger these overt government-sponsored attacks on long established moral standards constitutes a formal parliamentary declaration of war against God his created order his moral law and the authority of his word our current government therefore now stands in opposition to God no less than Baal worshipers of the Old Testament did. Why would we not expect them to come after people who put their lives on the line for the cause of God and His Word? There are many signs that sound churches and faithful believers are about to face a wave of harsh persecution. The exposure of all of this is a major problem for churches that have tried to compromise with the world. And I'm telling you, they will. They have and they are. We are no different than, than, than Nazi Germany putting swastikas out on our sign to say, hey, we're with you, government. But when the government is wrong, we tear down those signs. We do not abide by those rules that say you cannot worship. We need to worship. We need to gather corporately. Now, there are some laws that the government, and I'm I'm off script again, okay? There are some laws that are not spiritual or unspiritual, that we simply must obey because they're the government given by God. But when those laws attack our obedience to Christ, we break those laws. Does that make sense? That's what's being said. All right. The exposure of all this is a major problem for churches that have tried to, comprise with the, to compromise with the world. Some of them will simply deny the truth more openly. Some are already doing that. Those who will not compromise in order to mollify Caesar should sign the Frankfurt Declaration. Christ and Caesar do not operate in different realms. I'm sorry, let me say that again. Christ and Caesar do operate in different realms. The church's mission is not a partisan political one. Amen. There is no political solution to what ails our culture. You can give all the laws you want to, it ain't going to change anything until the hearts of the people are for Christ. And that's only going to happen with citizens that are kind, gentle, and good citizens proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church's mission is to preach the gospel Recover souls from the domain of darkness and train them to be Christ's disciples. Christians must not be dissuaded from the task in order to achieve a more temporal political objective. On the other hand, the more Caesar intrudes into matters that belong to Christ, the more the church must speak out on eternal and spiritual matters that the rest of the world wants to treat us merely as political. It is not the prerogative of Caesar to rewrite the moral standards on matters like abortion, sexual perversion, gender, gender roles, or other matters where Scripture has drawn clear, distinct lines. We will continue to speak on these issues, and when government tries to silence the message or punish the messenger, we and he must have taken a, 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 a word from Lutzer, "We will not bow. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 4 verse 19 through 20. That is MacArthur's reaction to what took place and why they are in these specific laws disobeying government by obeying God. Does that make sense? All right. How many understand what we're talking about? Did that kind of sum up what that whole text is dealing with? We need to be good citizens. God calls us to obey government. But when the government tells you to disobey government, we quietly, respectfully, and as a good citizen, Mm -hmm. disobey the government to obey God. Does that make sense? That's what is at stake. That's where we're at right now. Romans chapter 13. How many understand the context a little bit better because of what happened and what was going on? The church was being moronic in being rebellious and anarchist within the streets and Paul said, enough is enough. Stop it! You cannot proclaim the gospel and run around with an AR-15 trying to kill people. Right? be good citizens have a good conscience why so we can openly lovingly proclaim the gospel of jesus christ that's our job that is our job all right Uh, i hope this answers more questions than it does to entertain more because that's not the goal But I pray that this will not only be seen as a command from God to obey the government and be a good citizen, but also there comes a time when you can't, in good conscience to the word, obey the government. All laws do not fit into this category, most of them fit into the category of we must obey. Does that make sense? I pray that we do. Mr. Gaiman, can you close us in a word of prayer, please? Please stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much that your word speaks to real life for us. And your word is clear. I pray that you would give us just a renewed commitment to always be obedient to your word. And if persecution comes, uh, to welcome it in the sense that it is our duty and commitment to you, out of love for you, that we obey you above all else. Father, remind us of these truths this week, and I pray our lives would bring you glory in Jesus' name, amen.